Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the Talking About the Big Stuff podcast with Michael Cole. Uh, today, I have a different guest, um, Paul Wright, my, my good friend from high school and the owner of World's Best Media. It's uh, a conglomerate. It's a conglomerate. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, I, 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 why don't you, is there anything you'd like to say to introduce yourself, Paul? Well, I, I, like Mike, Mike said, I am Paul Wright, and I'm very excited to be in the show today. I love the idea of this show and the topics that you've chosen and, and what we're going to talk about today. These are among my favorite things to talk about. So I'm very, very excited. And I'm just happy to, you know, that you included me and uh, asked me to be a guest on the show. Yeah, uh, you were going to be my second guest, um, but we had technical difficulties. So, uh, un- unfortunately, you're number four, but not number four because because uh, of any other reason. Yeah, like I didn't even make bronze. No. Like, uh, like it's just like they give you one of those fucking participation bands. You're just like, fuck you. You throw it back at them. Yeah. You know, so. nothing in life is worth doing, Mike, unless you're gonna win. Yeah, that's true. Uh, every everything else is just a fucking failure. It's yeah. like all or nothing. That's how I think about life. Yeah, no, I. Uh, that's healthy, right? Yeah, I think that's 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 healthy. <laughs> uh, why don't Why don't we could springing off of that? Why don't we dive right into our topic, uh, which today uh, we're going to talk about identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the reason I I picked identity that I wanted to talk with you about, and I've explained this to you, but I'll explain to our our audience. Um, you are better than almost anybody else. An example in my life of somebody who is the same person, regardless of who you're around. And, and (laughs) we, I've, I've known you since we were, you know, we started high school in 1999. So I've known you about 23 years Yeah, and you have been, you know, you've grown as a human being, but you've been the same person regardless of audience for 23 years as far as i can tell um i would expect that if we met my grandparents you would talk exactly the way you would talk if it was just you and me talking and that's (laughs) that that's uh it's off-putting for some people at first but it's a really i think it's a really admirable quality that you are you under all circumstances um I, i i told you a while back that that when when I started dating Sarah, you were posting just absolutely obnoxious, obnoxious shit on my Facebook and, (laughs) and my mother and her mother were Facebook friends with me. And she was like, they're my, you know, they're going to, we're going to, they're going to see all this obnoxious shit. And I'm like, it's just who Paul is. Like, you know, he's not being a jerk. He's just, he's just that, you know, that guy all the time. And at that point, so that, you know, that was, I think when I re- that was when I made that realization that that's that you know about you, and that's around the time I started realizing that I wanted that in my life as well. Um, and and it's taken me you know that it's been about twelve years probably since all of that, and um, I feel like I'm starting to get to that point where I'm me regardless of audience. Um, it's and, a good thing to attempt. Yeah. Uh, uh, I. I I think you're absolutely right. I actually take that as a huge compliment. Um, it, it, it's a double-edged sword because mm-hmm. I legitimately have trouble turning it off. Mm-hmm. You know, like like you say, sometimes just raw 
Paul. Yeah. Like, like just me, my, like I'm mostly id and, uh, <laughs> it's, it's not always, uh, it's not always the best thing, but so I actually have a good story that sort of relates to that. Um, my brother is like that as well. Uh, not as much as me, I am, but he, he definitely has some of that. And I remember one of the jobs I did for many years, full-time and then p- part-time, was I worked for this company called the Lyrac Corps, who I, I've told you about mm-hmm. many times. This was the place of a million just wonderful stories. And it was... you. You could have done a reality show there. It is where I saw some of the most insane behavior in in other human beings. And and it's also a source of, like, one of the reasons why I'm as fucked up up as I am. Because there was a time period where everyone that was, like, in my life was, by any definition, fucked. Like, they all had some degree of mental disorder like they these were not normal people in society and it's like that's who i work with uh that's who i hang out with and at the time my family were were all fucking um uh a little bit crazier too and i remember there's this guy we worked with uh, named kenny and he always said he said to um ryan mcdonald who worked with us uh, at lyric core a few times he said you know, the thing about the Wright brothers is if if they don't fucking like somebody, they know it, you know? <laughs> and, and he was sort of saying it like as a compliment. It's like, if, if, if he's, he's like, hey, if Paul and Matt, if they don't like that guy, that guy fucking knows. They're not, <laughs> you know? And um, I'm like, yeah, I like that. Like, I'd rather potentially insult somebody than just go through my life being fake. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree, and and I um, I don't think that I have had that issue for as long. But what for for part of of you know uh, for part of my a good part of my life, I was more more so not myself around my family. Mm. Um. And I was, you know, I'd be my, I was always myself or I was usually myself at work and, and, you know, and, and I tone it down at work and obviously I can't be at a hundred percent, um, <laughs> but they know who I am. They have a good sense of who I am. Um, and, but I was, it was, you know, it was always more around my family. Um, and finally something in the last five to 10 years just kind of started to shift. And I think it was just them real, you know, like I think I became comfortable cause they were realizing that I am who I am. And, and to some extent, I think a lot of it was probably like, Oh, he's a father now. And, and a husband and like, we got him through the hard part. Now he is the, you know, or like the, we got him here and now he's going to do it himself. And I think that that has taken over. And so I don't, you know, from almost none of my family, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I think that it's, it is startling to like 
certain people in my family, like like my sister, on vacation a couple weeks ago. Yeah, she yeah. I said something in front of uh, one of the you know the the people that works at the at the resort we were going to, and I and you know I just said something about oh shit or fuck or something and she was like oh, my, oh. Clutch and, pearls. and i literally looked at her and i just and i didn't mean it as aggressive as it probably came out and i just said like <laughs> i i'm done not being me like yeah i also think like that's an that's the thing that comes with age also yeah. if you're smart you know if it as you grow older if you are the type of person like you are where i think I know this is what I do, and I, I feel like you sort of do something similar. I'm always sort of – I would very much define myself as I'm in a perpetual state of self-improvement. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean I'm actually improving myself, but that's always my intention even if like whatever the thing I thought would help never gets done. You know right. what I mean? Always something that's on my mind that I do think about these big things and uh, and try to examine myself and my flaws and my behavior and see, you know, what's hey that's me and that's okay and what's something I can work on and you're just being a jerk, uh, but yeah, I, I just think it's like kind of like you were saying with the situation with your family. I think you just, as you get a little older, some of the shit, you sh- it's like, I don't fucking care. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, like you said, you have a wife, you have a family, you have a job. It's like, what else is that important? So who gives a fuck what you say? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, but it's also been, they've all kind of given me for the most part. And I'm, and I'm talking about when I say they, I mean, the older family members, not the people younger than me, they're still on that walking on eggshells thing. But like a couple years ago, I was at a cookout at my grandfather's house and I was telling some story and I didn't say fuck, but you know, it was clear that that was the word I was omitting. And my grandfather was like, was like, why aren't like, he? I can't remember how he said it, but he said something like, why aren't you saying it? And I said, Oh, I, I didn't want to say that in front of you. And he said, do you think I don't think you say it? And I'm like, well, I know that you you know that, but that's not the same as saying it in front of you. And he said, I've heard it before, Michael. And <laughs> so that that's what I mean when I say, like, to some extent, it feels like they... It's not like they've given up on me. I don't mean it like that. I mean it in a positive. Like they, yeah, like they know you, and it's it's like, come on, let's be adults about this. Yeah, I, I have always there's been there's been multiple like confrontations and blowouts because of family members like sort of kind of trying to tell me not to swear mm-hmm. or like to clean it up. I'm like. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> like, you're really telling me to watch my mouth? I'm a fucking 28-year-old man. Like, uh, not 20. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm talking yeah. like that. It's like, I'm a fucking adult. If you, I'm, I'm sorry that these made-up words make you sad. Yeah. Uh, uh, you fucking baby. Who gives a shit? In fact, I, <laughs> I remember one time we went to watch the Super Bowl. 
at my Uncle Gary's house. Now, have you ever heard me talk about my Uncle Gary before? I don't. I don't think so. He's a fucking character, and he's also out of his mind, and it, but in a very different way. And he actually, <laughs> he was he was it, right in front of his house was where the Sarnayev brothers got into like that massive shootout with the police. Oh yeah, yeah. With the, the that was, bombing. Was that with the boat? Or was that no, a- after? That was after because because the, they have like this just full on gunfight in the streets before right. the brothers get separated. They kill the older one, and I think Jelhar was the younger one. Yeah, who they later found in a boat in another part of Watertown, mm-hmm. like probably just a mile away, if if not less. And so he he thought kids were like, um, lighting up fireworks. And he opens the door and he sees this insane scene. And he told us this. That is so funny. He literally closed the door like, did I really see that? Like a like out of something out of a movie, like a double yeah. take. And he opened it again and it was it was and it was there. And, and he goes, Oh fuck. And he just starts running into the back of his house. And he uh, runs into his backyard. There's cops in his backyard. And again, he starts screaming, It's not me. It's not me. I don't know why he's screaming that. <laughs> he dives over his back fence into his neighbor's backyard, like on the like the street that ran parallel to his. Mm-hmm. He, and um, he sees his behind neighbor and his son coming out of the house to get in the car. And, and they're like, Gary, what the fuck are you doing in our yard? And, and he's and they were like. Oh, we're gonna check out what this fucking commotion is. It sounds like a bunch of assholes are lighting off fireworks. And my uncle Gary's just got this fucking manic look in his face. He's like, "No, it's a shootout. There's explosions." And like he, and everyone, he's like a fucking head case. So the neighbor didn't really believe him right away. It's like, oh, wow. okay, Gary, it, you know, like he's he's just a wacko, and um, like he had to spend like ten minutes collecting himself. And to stop the guy from and his son from going over there, he and if you I don't know if you remember, but they locked down all the towns around that uh, when that happened on Patriots Day. Yeah, Watertown, Altham, Newton, like a bunch of them were were like you're just everyone stay in your homes. Um, and so he ended up having to spend that whole day with his neighbor. But anyway. That's just an amusing story. He got to meet Peter Berg, the director of Patriots Day. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, like my dad and him sat down with Peter Berg for like an hour awesome. because, you know, it was like a huge part of the story. My uncle just happened to sort of be a part of it. Uh, and they wanted to shoot in his street. And, and they ended up having to shoot somewhere else because one asshole in the town complained. And I guess the rule is, like, if one person doesn't want it, like, they won't do it at all. Yeah. Even if a thousand other people said yes. Um, but so we go to this. He's having a Super Bowl party. And I show up there with Brian Blue, who's a guy I went to high school with, who's out of his fucking mind. There's Brian McDonald, also fucking crazy in his own way. Yeah. Um, my brother and my dad and this is all at the height of our drinking like we fucking partied hard like Mm -hmm. all of us it was it was nuts like 
it was so in in it was it was normalized to a degree that it really shouldn't have been because I didn't know anyone who drank normally at yeah. that point in my life. And it's the Super Bowl. Like I'm there to get shit faced, watch the fucking game, watch some cool movie trailers, and I don't give a shit what what I say. And um so my uncle Gary has his sister, um uh, who's a little older and her husband there. And I'm like, and I, I love her, and, but I'm like, Gary, what the fuck are they doing here? They're, they're these old people. They're really religious. Like what is wrong with you? And uh, he's like, Oh no, it's fine. It's fine. And just things go off the reels immediately. Cause Brian swears in, he says fuck or something. And, uh, my aunt's husband, Ed, uh, and her her name the uh my my aunt's name is camille and her husband was ed and ed who's just this guy who i remember one time uh we were sort of at like a holiday gathering and he was there and he's got like a pint glass um which just with some ice in it and i've seen just drinking this ice this pint of like water and uh i see he's done with it and i'm like ed do you want me to get you another water because i was like getting up he goes no it was vodka so he, he was literally just drinking a fucking like pint of vodka. <laughs> yeah. it, was, it, was, it was anyway. So that guy goes to Brian. Hey, does a woman present watch your language? Now, Brian's a guest in the house and, you know, he's there with us and he didn't want to be rude, I think. And so <laughs> Brian goes, oh, oh, it's cool. I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sure you didn't think that's how that was going to go. But that immediately, just the fact that he said that, I'm like, no, nah, this ain't going to work. And we've been there for like 10 minutes at this point. <laughs> so I start swearing at something just instinctually. And, uh, and like there, my aunt and my uncle get bent out of sheep, but not my uncle Gary, this fucking guy, Ed. Uh, and I'm just like, fuck off. Like, I'm here to watch a fucking game. And if you don't like it, just fucking leave. And uh, it, it turned into this whole blowout. And we ended up sort of, like, they left and we all just went to a bar. We're like, fuck you, Gary, for putting us in this shitty situation in the first place. But it was it was a good it was a good example. I was very long-winded of, uh, yeah, I don't, don't fucking tell me to watch my mouth. Go fuck yourself. I fucking hate that. I really do. It's one yeah. of my big pet peeves. Um, yeah, I have that same pet peeve. It's, it's less so with swearing, but sometimes when people want to police, just when people want to police, you know, the conversation or anything, I'm just like, like if you, if something's bothering you, that's one thing. But like when people are like, Oh, we, we shouldn't talk about that. I'm just like, oh, go, go away. Like it's a, don't participate. If, if I'm in it, if I have some sort of interaction with somebody like where I feel slighted, I, I really like can't let it go unless I get some kind of closure mm -hmm. on, on it, you know, and whatever. And that might even be just a, a very polite, like, Hey, I'm not cool with what you did. Yeah. Something like that. But, but I, when I'm in a situation where, I'm uncomfortable. If somebody's doing something to me. I don't like, I, I like I'm incapable of just 
you know, sucking it up essentially. Yeah. And kind of that's how I sort of always been. And it's, and, and like I said, it's a double edged sword. Yeah. But, um, so let me ask you a question about, so with this, you know, I, I said at the beginning that I've known you since fresh, we were freshmen in high school in 99 Mm-hmm. Were you like this before? Because high school is kind of when you when a lot of people form their identity and form their you know they start to get that sense of self. Or or have you been that? Have you been that way a while, or did that form around the time high school started? That is a fantastic question, Mike. Because um, high school fundamentally changed who I was Mm -hmm. fundamentally in a massive way. And earlier in life, uh, I lived in Watertown, Waltham, those places. Mm -hmm. And to a kid who's like 14 or 15, we moved when I was in the eighth grade. We moved out to Framingham. That's like a hundred miles away or, you know, or a million, that might as well be a million miles away. It's sort of a, traumatic thing when you've been in this one kind of part of the uh this one area for all your life yeah and it was the best fucking thing that could have happened to me i i I shudder to think at how i would have turned out if i stayed there yeah because i was i was like bullied a lot in uh in in um like up before i i came to framingham and yeah. so I was able to sort of redefine myself and like I drew a line in the sand of like I'm not going to be taking shit from bullies anymore. To this day, there are people <laughs> it's that this is fucking insane, I know. But people from like 30 years ago who did shit to me, be like that if I saw them, I'd be like, I want to fuck you up right now. <laughs> I, I, I really would love to fucking do, just fuck you up. Um, and it was really, yeah, I blossomed yeah. Um, sexually because <laughs> that's when I, that's when I had my period for the first time. Nice, um, yeah. It, it, so it was a combination of things. Uh, it was I was a new guy, I, and I was able to just sort of be myself. And I, I was getting older, and I was a little bit more savvy and. Um, Joining the track team was huge for me. Yeah, that really fucking changed me, and that instilled things in me that are still incredibly valuable to this day. It because I really didn't play uh, little league sports or anything like that. So running cross country and running track, it taught me about hard work and not giving up and perseverance and the value of just putting your heart and soul into something. And it just, yeah, it it made me into a person. And it was like, even before I went to Marion, that eighth grade year, this is another big one. It was just the people reacted to me. Like, this is my sort of theory. Just the people in Watertown just fucking suck. Like they suck. Like if you're any, if you're listening to this and you're anywhere around Mike or I's age, and you're from Watertown, you probably fucking suck. Because they were just, they're all assholes there. its I don't know what the fuck it is. Yeah. It's something, something in the water. Yeah. Um, well, I think part of it's that age. Like, middle school, I think, are the worst, is the worst age, 
Like, I, I mean, I, I don't know how much I've told you, but I was bullied really badly in middle school as well. Well, and, let me just, let me just, yeah. I want to I hear this, but I, just, I think this one other point is interesting that happened to me when I got here from eighth into eighth grade. And this carried over, over into high school a little bit um, was girls were interested in me in a way they never were before. Yeah. And uh, like, yeah. And that was I didn't really know how to handle that at first, but that's really transformative as well. Like yeah, if, absolutely. If, like this girl wouldn't give me the fucking time of day a year ago. Like what's what's going on? You know, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. that it's just stuff like that, you know, just builds your confidence and all the, all that kind of stuff. I'm sorry. I, 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 okay. I, thought, I, I just wanted to make that point, but yeah. Um, so you were saying how much you were bullied in middle school and how middle school is really tough and yeah. all that stuff. I, so I was, I was, I went to, did, I went to Catholic, uh, middle school and, and I got bullied mercilessly. Um, I'm not Jewish, but my last name is Jewish <laughs> as, <laughs> as I learned from the little assholes in middle school telling lots me that. Lots of anti-Semitism. And, yeah. Lots of anti-Semitism. Um, and you know, you're, you're at a Catholic school. You're the only kid who's a little different. Like we didn't, you know, so you're the one that stands out. You get to be the minority, even though I was Catholic and stuff. So, um, but like, I, you know, I learned a lot about, about my own heritage because I went and asked about it and found out a bunch of stuff because kids were telling me, you know, these terrible things about, you know, they were holding ham up in front of my face and saying, what's the Jewish dilemma ham half off and like just giving me merciless shit and like re- really cruel, awful kids. And going, See, that's why I was saying like, if I saw certain people 30, like from 30 years ago, yeah. I think I like, I just wouldn't do something like that. Yeah. No, it's, I... It's, I think some people are just real pieces of shit. Absolutely. That's true. But, but go ahead. I think sorry. that's also the peak of your, your shittiness is, middle school well, for a lot of people i have a different take my okay. take is you're showing your true colors mm-hmm. like you're showing who you are like i don't i think i think yeah people change but i think that's just this uh, because like when you're a kid you don't have as many um inhibitions on yeah. when especially when interacting with other kids so if your instinct is to be cruel and to gang up on people and to be violent, I think you're fucking scumbag and there's just something wrong with you. Yeah. And I, if I had to bet, you're probably still a fucking piece of shit in some way now. Yeah. But I'm so I'm sorry. That's okay. I, um, so one side note before I finish the story though, uh, the, the main kid who bullied me the most um, he comes up every once in a while on LinkedIn as a suggested friend and he looks like Thanos with the nutsack chin. And I always, <laughs> I always find that amusing that he, he literally is just like such an ugly dude. Um, but, um, so what I was starting to say though, was I, I think that, you know, for me, I, I went, you know, I spent seventh and eighth grade, basically friendless. Um, and it, I had a really hard time figuring out my thing because part of it was I was trying to have friends and I was trying to do things I liked. So like the year that we were in eighth grade, 
Phantom Menace came out, for example. I went to see that mm. alone because nobody would go with me. And I thought, like, I'm the Star Wars kid because they all made fun of me for liking Star Wars. And then it was like, well, maybe I am, like, the Jewish kid. Maybe, like, I tried so hard to find somewhere to fit in some group or identity. And, it, and I really struggled so much in that time period. And then when I was going into high school... All the bullies went to a different went to different schools. The kids that went from my middle school into our high school were all, you know, mostly the kids who did their own thing. They may have been popular, but they weren't like they weren't conforming to the group kind of kids. Well, that was a great thing about Marion, I think. And I I know you had a, a little bit of a different experience than me. Yeah. But from what I would recall, I do not think well, if if I had if I had a bet, I would say you were not bullied in any way compared to your previous exper- experiences uh, when you were at Marion. Oh yeah. Because, am I? Would you think that's fair to say that yeah. you know you weren't really like? Would you? Because you might have had some disagreements with people, but there wasn't like a lot of bullying going along going on in the same way you and I experienced it. Right. Right. And no, I 100% agree. I think what was great about Marion when we went, I think that was sort of like this golden age of Marion. And because so many people say, Oh, high school is the worst time of my life. I couldn't get out of it. I loved high school. I had a fucking blast. Yeah. Uh, you know, but you know, not everybody had my experience. I was fucking, the captain of the fucking track team. I was uh, the Mr. Marion fucking high school class yeah. vice president and all that other bullshit, you know? And, but forgetting that it's there, there weren't like, it wasn't super clicky. Like there were clicks, but they sort of bled in, in, into one another. Yeah. You know, I sort of had my group and that bled into your group a little bit. And like my group bled into the stoner group a little bit. As I was saying, there wasn't really like a, any kind of like stereotypical popular kids. And even the kid who was the very, very successful captain of the football team was like the star quarterback. Super fucking nice kid. Yeah. Uh, I didn't really know him really well because we didn't have he, – he did all those AP classes. And uh, his name is um, Chris McCann. Yeah. He's good, he was a good kid. Good kid. His family's nice too. His, uh, my brother was friends with his brother. And uh, he was always just like – was like a quiet guy. I remember um, <laughs> I had a study hall with him I think like senior year or something like that. And it was when the football team was doing really well. And, yeah. he, and I think they would have their jerseys on the game days – and Chris sort of like kind of walked by me one time and um, just like sort of slightly like bumped up against my arm. Like, and so I was going around that day going, you know, I had this bad rash on my hand and Chris came down, <laughs> bumped up against me. And now it's fucking gone. Yeah. Now I'm not saying Chris is magic, but he's magic. Yeah. <laughs> I was not doing that. I don't know if this is the day. same same day, but I remember you in in the parking lot after lunch one day, literally to the entire like crowd of people outside being like, It's Marion's very own Hercules, not quite man, not quite God. 
<laughs> and it was about Chris. And I remember he and had I, such a good humor about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't remember doing that, but that sounds like something. Uh, I remember saying something like that, but yeah. I, I Go think ahead. going into high school after having the experiences with bullying that I did, I felt like, um, so I, I kind of rebranded like the way you did, but in, in maybe not the most positive way. Um, so what I did was I, I had learned at some point during my bullying that if I made fun of myself, nobody else was going to make fun of me. And so I kind of came in with very quickly with just the most like self effacing, you know, like jokes about myself because i just figured that would take all the the wind out of it and it did i I think it helped because i I remember a lot of people like kind of warming up to it and being really friendly to me about about it but what it did in the process and i didn't really notice it until i don't know five ten years ago is is uh it shaped how i think about myself and i had to like i had to start undoing that yeah, I, I I think that makes a lot of sense. I remember my my how I view you from high school was I always thought of you as sort of like a big film buff. Mm-hmm. You were I, I never thought of you as somebody who was even like a quiet kid. I was just yeah. like, yeah, Mike's a good dude, and uh, you know, you had your you had your set of friends, and you know, we would hang out every once in a while and stuff, and. It was, uh, yeah, it, se- it seemed like you, whatever you were doing definitely worked. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I, I didn't see you as a guy who had any kind of problems, you know, in, in right. high school, like what we've been describing. In, in, so, yeah, you yeah. seemed like a, uh, yeah, I, just, I, I liked you a lot, you know, even back then. We always, you know sort of like uh you, you know we were friends but we weren't as close as we are now you know yeah, absolutely and i i always just had this res- i always res- respected you and I'm, I'm sure i said some asshole things to you that <laughs> i've said to everybody but um yeah but uh, honestly and this comes back to the identity thing i never once you know like i i had gone through a lot of bullying and when when i met you you were it was clear because of how how much you were the same way all the time with everybody that it wasn't personal whenever you would say st- something that you were just being funny and a bit ridiculous like yeah. I, I i my very first memory of you is i ran for class president freshman year of high school and i gave the worst speech ever because i had written my speech <laughs> And they had to, you had to get your speech approved, so I had written it, handed it in. I went, I got to see the other people give their speeches, and I think that that like made me go, "Oh shit, my speech sucks," and so I tried to wing it instead Ooh. of doing that, and it was just the worst possible speech. And I remember you coming up to me <laughs> after after the speech and saying, um, "That was the worst fucking thing I've ever heard." I'm definitely <laughs> voting for you, though. And I didn't take yeah, it personal because you because <laughs> because it was clear that you weren't like being malicious. You were just being, you know, 
I don't, I don't know. The, just being me. You were being, being outgoing and you ridiculous know. bald. Yeah. I have friends that I definitely crossed the line with. I said, you know, really shitty things thinking that I was being funny or, or, you know, like, oh, being, you know, just telling it how it is, is my, is my thing. And I, you know, we hurt people's feelings where, you know, it's natural that we're going to, if you have no regrets about the way you've behaved in your life, you're, you've got to be a sociopath because nobody's been good enough to have no regrets. So we're in religion class. So we, like Mike said, this is a Catholic school and we had religion and it was really fun because it wasn't like, Oh, we're going to jam Catholicism down your throat. It was more of sort of like a philosophical thing and like a life thing. I enjoyed it. We had an extremely progressive religion teacher who taught us definitely went off book from what they were allowing him to teach us. You know, yeah, he, great he, guy. he taught us about all kinds of stuff that, you know, I, I remember learning about Buddhism and Islam and Jew, Judaism. And so that, sorry, I just want to give that a little bit of context. I actually ran into him years later at a bar where he was having an Irish wake. Oh yeah. It was great. Uh, he's, he's, he's got, he, you know, uh, I don't want to say his name just to keep him, but he was he was a he was a great guy. But um, so it was that class. You might have been in it, actually. Um, and we were freshmen, and yeah. so this is all sit in a circle. And he basically says to us, each one of you, give like a constructive piece of. Oh no, we were going around the whole room. And we went to each person and then everyone sort of was supposed to give them like a piece of like constructive criticism. And so uh, we get to Mike C. And the, the other Mike, that's not me yeah, uh, yeah. For, for the listeners. Yeah, that was just the nickname. Um, and one of my big fucking pet peeves is people with poor hygiene and it's like, dude, and I'm not saying this was his thing, but if like, if you fucking smell, if I have to smell you, like, f- just get your shit together. What the fuck? At the very least, I don't want to have to smell you or look at the grease coming off your fucking skin, you disgusting human being. It's I fucking hate it. So, this is one of the grossest fucking things in the world. It drove me nuts, and I, I know it was mean. It was super fucking mean. It wasn't the time to do this, but I had to fucking say something. Mike's acne was so bad, like his face would shed onto his Marion sweater. So, imagine that. Like a fucking navy blue sweater covered in flakes of acne to the point where it looks like somebody just dumped Parmesan cheese on its shoulders. It was fucking revolting. And we get to Mike and I just go, see a dermatologist, Mike. That's all I'm going to say. See a dermatologist. And I just said that like three times, just nodding my head. And I'm like, I know this is awful, but I can't let this pass. And that was probably the meanest thing I said to somebody because I was calling attention his appearance is like yeah i don't know if he could i don't know i guess somebody just has it really bad i don't know what's your assessment of that that's pretty bad i mean (laughs) i but 
that so this whole game it was called coconuts and it yes. was it was the absolute wrong move for an otherwise great religion teacher. Yeah. Uh, yeah he he club. trusted that a bunch of freshmen were going to be mature and give mature criticism and feedback to to each other and it devolved into chaos and and I believe if I'm not mistaken we are the last year that ever that ever got to play that game. Uh, it's probably a good call on his part because it was every every class that in in our grade that that went through that was it was just an absolute shit show um, because it was not appropriate for for freshmen. It, I got what he was get what I get now what he was trying to do, but freshmen were not ready. It was just a chance to kind of bully each other. Yeah, it it it, it really was. Um, but sticking to the idea of identity you know that's sort of our early formative years and i thought i'd share something that's i think there are a lot of people that have to deal with stuff like this right now and how you deal with it hugely affects your life and so in my late 20s to early 30s, I had to go another, undergo a really, another really sort of traumatic, fundamental um, reinvention of myself. Um, I was going after a very specific career. I was living my life in a very specific way. And I kept going after this thing. And with everything I had, what I thought, I, in retrospect, there's other stuff I could have done. But, you know, hindsight's 2020. At the time, everything I thought, and I literally attempted to be successful in this career for like 10 years. And I'm like, this is, this is who I am. This is going to happen. Like, and eventually, I just had to let it go. Um, and at, that was around the time I also decided... I was going to quit drinking because I never, I never drank in high school at all. Uh, which I think, I think some people when I told them that were genuinely surprised by because, because like everything we've talked about in this episode, I'm just me. Yeah. And that's fucking insane. You know? So people really thought like, Oh, Paul's like into drugs and he drinks and shit. Like, cause like, look at him. He's fucking crazy. Yeah. No, no. I've gotten that too. I've gotten a lot of people who are surprised when I'm like, I've never done real drugs. <laughs> I can see people thinking that. I mean, I'm, I'm bipolar. So like my system is drugs essentially. Like <laughs> I, I manic, to, manic state can be like that, but I get 100% what you're saying. Like I've had people and I'm like, literally, I don't even think I've been in a room. I'm not aware that I've ever even been in a room with like cocaine before. Like I know people think that you do it when you're when you have a certain level of energy or you know and I'm like no I'm just bipolar and that's manic and then you get the depressive and so it seems like drugs and I think not that you're bipolar but you know our personalities are very drug reflective yeah yeah uh, absolutely there highs and highs and lows and see with you though Mike I I would have thought of you now. Because I think of you as a very, like, wise adult guy. 
I would think I would think you do drugs. I, you'd be like the guy I would call like if I needed a relatively uncommon drug. Yeah. Like, like something that is still like popular. I but need ether. I, I need ether from the 18th century. Can no, you nothing get... like that weird, oh. but like like Valium or something like that. Oh. Like Mike, I need some Valium or or like uh, something even weirder. I don't know. Yeah. Or, or or like if I had like Mike, I just took cocaine, and uh, and I had like you know. Yeah. Like no. eight beers. I'm having heart palpitations. Is this normal? Yeah, you're good. You'll be you'll be fine in half an hour. Yeah. Like or something like that. You're not the only person that thinks that I am the worst person to call if you are having any of those issues because I don't know jack shit about it. <laughs> I, I literally the my my experience with drugs is I had my wisdom teeth out twenty almost twenty years ago. They gave me Percocet. I took a single Percocet. I was puking because I was puking yeah. up blood. I puked like three or four minutes after I took the Percocet and I said, you know what? If I can't keep it down, it's not going to do me any good. And I don't want any trace amounts in my system because I've, I had been hearing all the horror stories about people getting addicted and yeah. that that's like literally my entire drug experience. Um, it's really interesting. And this speaks to what I'm kind of getting at. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up sort of, even though we're joking around. Um, it was very easy for people of our generation and it's still happening to get addicted to drugs. Yeah. Like, um, again, like around the time period I'm talking about, like I experimented a little bit, you know, with some stuff. And, uh, I know another, another good friend of mine, I won't say who, um, sort of did the same thing. I'm, I'm talking like a, like a couple of months, you yeah. know, uh, of and of doing a, a particular uh um because i got it for uh it was like for a medical thing and um yeah, i forget what the fuck it was it was basically like an opiate and uh and this was really before they were um they were being reckless at that this is before they realized how reckless they were being and how they prescribed it and I would say, like, there were a good s several months where, like, I was addicted to, like, whatever the fuck they were giving me. I don't remember what the specific one it was. And, uh, like, the same thing happened with another guy I know, again, who I alluded to before. He went to the hospital for something, and the doctor's, like, this, he left with, like, 30, 30 milligram oxycodons with, like, multiple refills on it. And I don't know if you've ever done oxycodone. Have you ever had that? No, I, I'm not joking. My, that one Percocet that I took for my wisdom teeth is literally it for narcotics and real like like what what people use as recreational, even though it's a prescription. Otherwise, everything else I've had has been like Tylenol or IV fluids or you know, and it's always you know I literally have zero uh, I have zero drug drug history. Okay, so it's I'll give you some context then. So, because um, like like I said, I've had you know, this, this is a long time ago, um, but if that yeah, that's definitely what I was taking was ox was oxy. That's because that's what they prescribed. Because uh, I remember I've never had Percocet specifically, and I think I had it once or something, and it didn't agree with me either. Weirdly enough, if you take like. Even if you've never taken oxy before, if you 
take like five milligrams, you're going to be feeling like you're on, it's the best fucking feeling in the world. It is, it, it's phenomenal. Like, and like 10 milligrams, you're fucking rounding Saturn. It's uh, us. And I've had one point, I've had them before. I had a 30 milligram oxy. So it, like a five, like five milligram, unless you're like taking these fucking things all the time and you're addicted to them. Cause that's the problem is like you get addicted to them really fast and then you develop a tolerance and you have more and more and more and more and more. And, uh, and then what ultimately happens is it's so expensive. Uh, people then just go start he- getting heroin because it's so much cheaper. That's where the opiate crisis has come from. It's, it was people getting prescribed prescri- prescription drugs and then them getting addicted to it. I, I know he, I, I, I'm saying this because I know he would, wouldn't have a problem saying it, but my dad, my dad is fucked. Like his back, he's in his uh, mid 60s right now. And um, he totally brought it on himself. It was like, you're a fucking idiot. This is I, he just injuries at work that were unnecessary. Um, like when I was working with him, I would see him like bend over and pick up some huge thing and, and, and pick it up so wrong, you know, where it's just like all the weight and the pivot point is on your back. It's like, it's just like, you're an idiot. Why are you doing this? That's why we have younger guys working here. So you don't have to do this. You're in your fucking. Uh, like 50 now or whatever this was. He was in his 50s. And so there were several years where he had multiple back surgeries. Um, He's he's just at the point where he's just basically going to be in pain for the rest of his life. Yeah. And and it was, he was having like getting like an insane amount of prescription uh, um, oxys or whatever. Insane amount. And I'm. I think it's pretty remarkable and laudable that he was just like, yeah, because I mean, he could have easily kept going. Yeah. Um, like he was, so he was taking these prescription meds for a couple of years, and he just got to the point where, like, yeah, this this is like not sustainable. Like this is just a shitty thing to be on, and so you know he got off them which is great because that's not an easy fucking thing to do. Right. Uh, opiates are one of the most difficult um, drugs. It won't kill you, you know, like if you go cold turkey. I forget exactly how he did it. It's been a while. Yeah. Um, I have a I lot mean, of respect for anybody. Um, like I've, I've had some people tell me before, like, oh, it's really cool. You know, like, that's re- you know, that was really smart of you not to get into drugs. And, and I'm like, it's it was way easier. It's way easier when you're afraid of something to just never try it. Than yeah. to fight it when you've already tried it and know how it di- you being addicted, knowing that it makes you feel better to some extent at least. And I was just and I so I like always kind of find that interesting in like that people people think it's more respectable not to to ever do it. And uh, and obviously there is a benefit to that, but it's it is arguably or uh, inarguably the easier route. And I have a well, lot of respect for anyone who can can get themselves clean I, I cannot imagine how difficult that must be oh you definitely nailed it because like i like i said i had like this little period where i was definitely uh, addicted to them and like i said they were like oxys and um 
I remember like, I'm like, I just wish I never fucking had touched these things in the first place, yeah. you know? And it came because of, it was because of my knees, you know, that's how I got them originally. Yeah. And, uh, and they were, I was doing physical therapy and stuff like that. And, um, but so what I was saying was, this is just like how insane, uh, the prescribers were years ago. And I think now they don't, I still think it's really fucked up how they handle it now. Um, but so as I was telling you, I have a friend who got, he like walked out of the hospital with like the doctor gave him like a, like 30 or 60, I forget how much of 30 milligram oxycodones with like multiple refills. So like I said, if you've never had it before and you have like a five milligram, you're fucking feeling it. 10 milligrams is you're fucking gone. Yeah. 30 milligrams is you're like coming in heaven. You know, it is like, and it really is. That term is so true. Chase the dragon. Yeah. It is never quite as good as the first time you do it. And that's what people are always trying to go after that feeling of, of that. And, and uh, I was just lucky. I was, you know, I wasn't on them long enough and I wasn't taking enough where it was difficult for me to get off them. I, uh, I, I kind of, I just stopped. I kind I went cold Turkey and, uh, it wasn't, um, it wasn't bad for me because that was around the time I was sort of, I was, I was that, that's when right around the time I stopped drinking yeah. and, uh, I quit, I quit drinking and this is definitely a big identity thing. And, I, I'm very happy with how I live with it now where so like I had a very wild fucking 20s very very wild um drinking all the time uh it was insane like some of these fucking habits I picked up and when I was at like my worst uh it was just, it was just bad um and so it was like 2010. I was like, yeah, I'm like, this is like, this is a good, you know, I think I have a bit of, a, I think I have a problem. Like, I think I need to quit drinking or like, I, I think I might be an alcoholic or something like that. Now I want to be clear about something. I do not think of my, I, I do not think of myself as an alcoholic at all. And like, and because addiction, like everything else is not universal. Right. We all, they're guys who they need to go to these fucking AA meetings every day. And it's like a struggle to drive past the liquor store and, or you're at, a, you can't go out to parties or stuff like that. I don't give a shit. Like I've never, once I really stopped. Um, so like I, I just I made the decision to quit drinking in 2010, the summer of 2010. Um, and then I would kind of be sober for a few months and then I go on like a weekend bender and I sort of sober up again. And then I go on like another bender, uh, a few months later. And so for the first like two years, it was this on and off thing. Yeah. I was sober for a few months bender. And it was in that period also where I, I got addicted to those oxycodones for a few months. And, uh, so I think that's why it was it wasn't as difficult for me 
to get off of them yeah. because it's already in this mentality of like sort of being addicted to something and knowing the process of like, all right, I got to stop. I know what's going to happen to me physically, you know, like all this shit. So, and I've heard just horror stories of people coming off of opiates and I was really lucky. I don't know what it was. I think it was just some perfect storm where it really wasn't bad for me. Like, um, I, uh, you know, I, I, I went, I went to like a in treatment facility for a few days, not because of the, not because of the oxys, because of the booze, because you can basically go cold Turkey on like any drug, like even heroin, except for alcohol. Like if you're a really fucking heavy drinker and you just stop, you can die from that. And so this was at like, I was really fucking drinking really hard and I was taking these pills and that's when I'm like, yeah, let me, let me go and like safely do this. Yeah. So I went to a facility for a few days in, in Worcester and they sort of like, they gave me something like the first couple of days. Um, so the alcohol withdrawal wouldn't kill me essentially. Yeah. Because what can happen is when you go into alcohol withdrawal, you can have seizures. Um, it's really bad. Like yeah. you, you, you yeah, you can definitely die. I know of a guy who basically, he got manslaughter because this guy who was an alcoholic stumbled out into the street. This guy I know hit him with his car. I don't really know this guy. This is like a friend of a friend. Um, hit him with his car. While the alcoholic was in the hospital, the accident was not the driver's fault at all. But when the alcoholic guy was in the hospital, no one knew he was an alcoholic. And he died from the alcohol withdrawal like a few days later. Oh, wow. And that guy ended up getting manslaughter. The guy who hit him in the first place, which is fucked up to me. Um, because it's, it, the accident wasn't this guy's fault. But... Um, yeah, uh, I forget where I was going with that. I think I was just trying to articulate my journey with like addiction. But um, yeah, no, yeah, I think that that you know, I, I think that for anybody who's been through that, that is a formative part of your identity. Yeah, I, I, and I'll say where it really changed things. You know, like I was in a relationship at the time, and weirdly. I remember all my friends were like, you know, Paul's because they knew I was like going back and forth, you, you, you know. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, I had a bunch of friends say to me after the fact, like, oh, if Paul breaks up with this girl, he's really gonna go over the fucking deep end. And uh, it was the exact opposite. Uh, when I broke up with this girl, uh, I have not had a drop of alcohol like since then and it's almost 10 years i haven't had so much as a fucking drink and i like i don't really um count it you know like like some alcoholics do because it's just it's not a struggle for me like if you're like paul you know you can have a beer right now no consequences like i'm like nah i'm good like, I just don't want it. I just don't like the way it made me feel. Yeah. You know? Like, I just, I'm not, 
I'm not interested in anymore. And a, a, a great trick I learned, I do this all the time. I still go to parties. I go to bars all the time. My friends, they, they drink. Everyone knows they can get absolutely hammered around me. You know, it's not a thing uh, that anybody even thinks about. Because um, I think even my close friends who saw me going through this firsthand knew, yeah, Paul was just like a binge guy. You yeah. know, he just binge binges. And like that, that is absolutely a, a form of addiction. But I wouldn't describe myself at all as like a traditional alcoholic. I don't think about it. It's not something that I, and my big, um, the best thing, if, if any anybody out there is uh, uh, somebody who doesn't drink anymore or you're thinking about stopping drinking and you don't want it to affect your social life, what I started doing is I love sparkling water. And so whenever I'm out with my friends, I always order like a, like a Pellegrino in a rocks glass with like a lemon twist because it looks like I'm just drinking a gin and tonic or something. Yeah. Well, you know, so no one's like, why, why aren't you drinking? You know, so people, people do that, you know? Yeah. Uh, and uh, so that's a, that's a really good trick I've learned. But yeah, like I said, I'm coming up on it's yeah. It's been like almost nine years. That's awesome. I, yeah. That's awesome. I didn't know a lot of that. And, and uh, you know, I knew you were sober. I didn't know all that other, you know, details and stuff. And that that's really awesome. Yeah, no, thank you, Mike. I, 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 I appreciate that. It's, uh, and it was one thing that did suck about it was it also, you know, it showed me who my certain friends were. Yeah. Um, I, I have a really good friend, uh, who basically just ended the relationship because, like, he just didn't want to fucking deal with it. I'm like, deal with what? I'm like, you know, I can still go to bars. Like, we can hang out. And he's like, oh, I'm not your fucking sponsor. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? And it's, it was just, it was really shitty. Like, um, this guy was, like, one of my absolute best friends. And uh, so that's that's part of what I was saying before is, you know, I, I had to undergo this huge transformation in my late 20s and where – in my early thirties, a little bit to an extent where I'm coming to this realization that this career I was chasing wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going through, uh, I'm coming off a long-term relationship. I'm, I'm getting sober. I'm, uh, uh, some of my people who I thought were my closest friends, uh, are sort of leaving. So my social life's fundamentally changing Everything changed. And the crazy thing is it, it all changed for the better. Yeah. Really. That's, that, that's really good. Yeah. So and people don't be afraid of change. Embrace it, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like the, you know, I, I went, I feel like every decade has kind of been marked with some drastic yeah. change and, and my thirties have been the best decade so far of my life. So that's great. Yeah. That's great. Hi everybody. Um, we we uh, recorded for almost two hours and we ended up switching topics. So I'm gonna make this the end of the uh, 
of episode four about identity. And then next week uh, I'll air the, the rest of my conversation with Paul um, on a, another topic. And, and, and I'll get to my, my question that I ask of all my guests on that episode. Um, so I, I hope that you, you liked this episode and, and please come back and check it out uh, next week. Um, also, if you can, uh, you know, subscribe and give us a comment that always helps. Um, thanks. And, and, and I'll, I'll speak to you next week.